Hello and welcome to the Wittenberg Door, a weekly broadcast that examines what Lutheran Christians believe about God, the world, and us. I'm Pastor Brett Cornelius of Gethsemane Lutheran Church, and I invite you to join us for the next hour. And later, we will take questions at 740-383-9944, that's 740-383-WWGH, or on Facebook at the Wittenberg Door, where you can submit your questions live. Please join us now on the Wittenberg Door. Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Brett Cornelius with Gethsemane Lutheran Church. We're glad you joined us today for the Wittenberg Door. With me, as always, is Lee Hall. Lee, good morning. morning. How are you? And we have Terry at the at the helm hey, here, guiding us through the uh, perilous journey. Thank you, Terry. Glad to have you with us. And uh, so today, folks, we're going to um, uh, go over the lessons for the coming Sunday, and we're going to take your questions. I want to remind you that if you're listening live on Friday morning at uh, starting here at 1113, uh, if you're listening live, uh, we invite you to be a part of the program. Uh, the phone is 740 740- 383-9944, that's 383-WWGH. If you have a question about the Bible or about theology or about you know, anything in general, how it relates to the world, how it relates to the church, uh, we invite you to give us a call. And normally we will uh, begin the program with a, 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 a catechetical time. We talk about the catechism. We've been going through the Ten Commandments uh, lately. We're not going to do that this morning. Because this coming week, it gets just Holy Week. Now, for those of you who uh, might be unfamiliar with the, with the uh, liturgy or with the um, church calendar, uh, most people are, are aware that Easter is coming up about, a, uh, about nine days from now, Easter Sunday. And everyone knows that Easter Sunday is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So this Sunday is what is often called Palm Sunday, is the inauguration of Holy Week. And Palm Sunday represents the day when Jesus came into Jerusalem as the Son of David. It was the first time that publicly Jesus had declared himself to be anything. And he came in in the same way, and, and for those of you who uh, are familiar with the Old Testament, you'll, you'll uh, recognize this, that when Solomon, the son of David, was crowned king, he was taken out to the east side of the city uh, toward the Kidron, what was called the Kidron Valley on the east side of the city, and put on David's mule, his donkey, and was, uh, uh, they brought him back in with trumpets and fanfare, and he was declared to be the king, Solomon. Oh, okay, we got a call. So, uh, caller, you're on the air. Uh, good morning. Good morning. I have a question for you regarding the unity of the four Gospels in regard to, uh, uh, in regard to the account at the tomb when, uh, when the angels rolled away the tomb. Would you kind of comment on that, the unity of the four Gospels in that respect? Well, uh, I would say initially, when we think about the Gospels, most people think, uh, I think when people read it, they have the idea that somehow uh, these... Go- oh, Carl, are you still with us? 
Yeah. Oh, good. Hang on there, because uh, if, if I don't get your question right, I want you to. If you'd like to, I'll just drop off and I can listen to you on the radio. No, 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 no. Uh, stay on because I want to make sure I get your question right. So if you have the time, uh, stick around for a few couple minutes. I, I shall. Okay, so when the Gospels were written, they weren't written as um, kind of uh, affidavits for court. You know, people uh, might think of uh, some lawyer getting the Gospel writers together and trying to come up with a clear picture of exactly what happened on that day. And if that had been the case, uh, I think the Gospels would be written much differently. Uh, and of course they would look more like a legal document than, a, than what they are, which are uh, proclamations of who Jesus is. So... Yet I'm not sure the legal documents would be as uh, trustworthy as, as the scripture is. <laughs> that's right, that's right. And uh, well, because we know that the Holy Spirit chose the format that he chose to to tell us about Christ. So, uh, good, good observation. Now, um, uh, let me get, before I get to your particular question, let me just say about the four gospel writers, they come at this differently. For instance, Luke, when he writes his gospel, he is not an eyewitness to any of the events. Luke was uh, picked up by uh, St. Paul in his second missionary journey. And so Luke is hearing about all of this uh, secondhand. We, we think that, that Luke wrote his gospel uh, while St. Paul was in prison at Caesarea. And that at that time, Luke went around speaking to the eyewitnesses. Probably spoke to Mary, too, uh, given his account of uh, the um, uh, genesis of, of Jesus as a baby. Uh, so, uh, to, get, to get to your specific question, so each gospel writer kind of came at this a little bit differently. Uh, and he had his he had for, he had an audience in mind. In other words, he knew the people who were going to hear this gospel. He knew their needs. He knew what he needed to tell them about Jesus in order for them to believe. Right. And then uh, each gospel writer is guided. The Holy Spirit chose four gospel writers because of their unique uh, gifts and abilities. And each gospel kind of has its own... Um, Mark, you might say, uh, and not, not Saint Mark, but a, a Mark. They have a, a different style of speaking. So, uh, I would say first of all about the gospel accounts, specifically about the resurrection. Now, getting to your question, specifically about the resurrection, that when you set these gospel accounts side by side, it all looks pretty confusing. Uh, even when you take one gospel account, for instance, the Gospel of Saint John. And you'll notice that uh, you have the women running from the tomb when they discover it's empty. You have uh, the disciples running to the tomb to see to verify what the women have told them. Uh, then you have them going away. You have you know different people uh, rushing about. It seems like people running around. And imagine being part of that event. Uh, you know, whenever there's any kind of uh, shocking event. Um, uh, there seems to be all this excitement, excitement, you know, and... And, and, and confusion, yeah. And confusion, and people yeah. see it differently. And you see the Gospels kind of reflect that. Now, uh, the one thing that the Gospels together clearly proclaim 
is that it uh, that was the women that, that attended Jesus during his uh, earthly ministry and um, different women are are included in that depending on what, what the gospel writer wants to tell about um, they come to the tomb and they're asking themselves do they who will roll away the stone for us and when they get there they see the stone has been rolled away now is that the Matthew account or is that the well, in all the accounts, I think one of the things that all, I don't have uh, I don't have my parallel Bible with me, but I think all the go- all the gospel accounts find the women find that the stone has already been rolled away. Now, uh, in in some accounts, uh, they enter the tomb first and see the angel. In some, and I think in Matthew's account, the the angel is sitting up, up uh, atop the atop the tomb, and uh, and speaks to them. Uh, and so, you know, the, again, this isn't an affidavit. This isn't a lawyer, you know, or, a, or an investigator uh, independently uh, re- uh, interviewing these different uh, people. Uh, it's it's an uh, it's accounts written um, to you know different uh, communities. Uh, would you say it's a, it's individual accounts as they see it? I would say, yeah, I would say some of that is true. You know, first, uh, of course, there's only really a couple eyewitnesses who write the Gospels. John, for instance. Now, when John uh, gives his account of the resurrection, I mean, that's just, you know, the way John sees it, because John was there. Uh, Matthew, who was one of the twelve, also would have been present in some of those events. But Mark uh, and Luke, possibly Mark, was uh, one of the larger group of disciples, but Luke uh, uh, wasn't there at all. Uh, so he's he's not so much telling us how he sees it, uh, although he's editorializing, but he's telling us how the witnesses that he spoke to saw it. So uh, what variations you find in the gospel lessons, and there are you know apparent variations, uh, I think is due to that fact. So whether, but whether you have the gospel, the uh, angel sitting inside the tomb or sitting outside the tomb or uh, sitting atop the tomb, however, however it's put, um, we have the women who are the first witnesses. We have the angels making the proclamation, and we have the women going away. Now, in Mark's gospel. Uh, there's some question about the end of that gospel and the appearance of Jesus. In, uh, many of the early manuscripts just have the women fleeing from the tomb. And we are left, uh, presumably, are left with the just the uh, uh, preparation for the proclamation to come that the apostles will make. So, uh, so there are some variations. Uh, and it's because of, number one, who they're writing to, who the gospel writers are, who their audience is, what special gifts and abilities the gospel writers have themselves, and what they see as important. And the Holy God, the Holy Spirit, of course, guided all these things. And so we kind of have this uh, this uh, variety of accounts. But, uh, but remarkably similar. Uh, f- of course, in John's gospel, you have the appearance of Jesus to Mary, and then later the appearance of Jesus to 
all the disciples, and uh, John, of course, was an eyewitness, uh, and Matthew, and uh, Matthew's account, all the accounts actually have Jesus appearing, eventually appearing to the disciples. Most have him appearing on the first night now, he after appears, the resurrection. Is, is it in Matthew that he talks about, where is it that he talks about appearing to James, the half-brother? That's in 1 Corinthians. That's in uh, Paul's account where Paul gives a list of everyone who saw Jesus alive. He said there was more than 500 witnesses, but he, he says he first appeared to the apostles and then to, and then to the uh, brethren. I think he mentions James at that point. And then he says, last of all, he appeared to me as one untimely born. But that's, in, that's the resurrection account that St. That Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 15. Yeah. Well, who, was, uh, who were the two marriages listed in... Uh a Matthew account. There was Mary Magdalene. Well, there's Mary Magdalene, and there's uh, Mary. Now, uh, in Mark's account, Mary is the mother of James and John. And there's some speculation that possibly Jesus, that James and John were cousins, uh, related to Jesus, uh, because of the um, the closeness of uh, this Mary that is mentioned in Mark. Uh, so. Uh, but there, but we, uh, Joanna, I think, is mentioned in one. I think maybe in Luke's account where Joanna is mentioned. So it it, it it's probably a, a small group of women that go to the tomb, but but a couple of the women are are more well known. You know, uh, when they're writing to these different communities, the churches that they're writing to have already heard of these women, and they probably know about them more than we know about them. And so when, when the gospel writer mentions Mary or Mary the mother of Clopas or, you know, uh, Joanna, uh, it's be- he, he mentions them probably because that community knew that person. So, again, uh, you know, you have these variety of, but uh, it's probably a small group of women, a couple of whom are prominent, and especially Mary Magdalene, who's pretty much universally acknowledged you, in all four. You've done a great job answering the question. Do you think there's a... One one account uh, of that resurrection uh, would I would just speculate a, a great deal. I would assume Jesus wouldn't have been confined in that tomb until the angels rolled back the stone. He probably wasn't there to begin with. So what's your what's your thought there? Oh well, he was definitely buried. Um, uh, which is one of the things you mentioned, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, in Paul's account, that, uh, that Paul says uh, uh, that, you know, of first importance, we give you the gospel of first importance, he says, that Christ died for our sin in the, in the uh, third day. Was Jesus still in the tomb? Uh, we don't know that. And um, God's a God with perfect timing, so we certainly would realize that whatever it was was God's timing. That's, that's right. That's right, yeah. You've done a great job answering these questions. Thank you so much. I oh, hope you well, don't mind. No, I don't mind. It's a great question, and thank you for the question. I'm sure a lot of people have that question on their mind when they think about it. I thought so, too. There's a, there's a lot of discussion on those on those controversies in uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I think... Well, God thank you for calling. God bless. Very good. That's a great call. Okay. Uh, so, uh, now this, this caller was interested in the Easter story itself which um, acknowledged publicly as the son of David, uh, visits, the, um, uh, visits the temple briefly and, and then leaves the city. 
And there's a whole score of events that happen then during Holy Week. Now, uh, what our church does is we observe these events of Holy Week, and many churches do observe, and, and probably those in our listening area, uh, the different churches that you attend, you're probably going to have some midweek services. Uh, our church, Gethsemane Lutheran Church, will have a Monday Thursday service in which we uh, celebrate the last meal of Jesus with his disciples before he's betrayed, and the institution of what is called the Lord's Supper, or the sacrament of the altar. Um, where Jesus gives us his body and blood for the forgiveness of sins. And, um, and then there's, uh, our, our, again, we have a service on Friday at noon, which is uh, in conjunction with the, the suffering of Jesus, uh, with the, what we call the chief service, the Good Friday at noon service. And, um, and, and we'll be uh, reading the account of the Lord's Passion from St. John. Um, and then we have what is called a Good Friday Tenebrae service in the evening. It's a really wonderful service. And it is uh, uh, the darkening of the candles. And Jesus is being, um, uh, Jesus is, uh, we, we, we uh, attend to the, the, what are called the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross. And as, as we uh, say each one, then a candle goes out until the church becomes dark. It's a, it's a wonderfully moving service. Now, our, our, our church will have an Easter vigil service, what's called an Easter vigil service, uh, a watching service on uh, 8.30 on Saturday night, in which the church will begin in darkness and we'll all light candles and go into the church. And then uh, the church will become lighter and lighter as we read the accounts of God's salvation that he has accomplished, through, especially through the, the resurrection of Jesus and uh, leading up to Easter Sunday. So a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, scripture to be read. Uh, during the week, we encourage people in their individual devotions to take um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday and read uh, the accounts of the Lord's Passion from Monday on uh, St. Matthew's on Monday and St. Mark on Tuesday, St. Luke on Wednesday, and St. John on Thursday, uh, and uh, in preparation for the uh, what was what is called the Holy Triduum, the, the the Holy Three Days: Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. Uh, it's a very special time of the year. You know, our whole salvation in life, eternal life begins in, uh, we, might, we might say, with the, with the incarnation and, and Christmas, but really focusing, why was Jesus born in the manger? Why was he given to us as, uh, as a son? Um, it was so that he could be our champion, so that he could take our sins upon himself, so that he could carry them to the cross and suffer and die, the penalty and the punishment that each of us deserved because of our sins so that we could be forgiven and free and given eternal life and given Christ's life so that we might share in the resurrection of Jesus, that we don't need to fear death and fear hell, but we can uh, approach these things with confidence. And so it's a very special time of the year and uh, uh, the death and resurrection of our Lord, and we hope that you uh, enjoy the, uh, the uh, events as they come up through the week. Uh, now, Lee. Yes. Uh, so what we're going to do now, uh, this Sunday uh, at church, we, we celebrate it. It is both 
Palm Sunday, in which we celebrate the the uh, entry of Jesus publicly into Jerusalem as its king, as the son of David. And uh, by the way, our church, we all gather outside the sanctuary, and we gather in the narthex, and we uh, all march in together uh, and commemorate the uh, entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Uh, we wave palm branches and lay them at the altar, and so you know, it's kind of a, a nice little custom that we've had for for years now. So that's Palm Sunday. But we also take this Sunday for those who may not be able to make it to the uh, midweek services, and we call it Passion Sunday because we um, take the account of St. Matthew and we look at the passion of, of Jesus in the account of St. Matthew. And so what we're going to do for the rest of the program and uh, – also, let me just remind you, if you do have a question or a comment to make, there's a wonderful question the caller just, uh, just gave us before. If you do have a question or comment as we're reading through the, uh, uh, through the account, and we invite you to read it with us starting in Matthew chapter 26, verse 1. Uh, we invite you to read this account with us. Uh, if you have a question or comment that you'd like to make, Give us a call. The number is 740 So, uh, Lee, let's, uh, without any further ado, let's get to the, the gospel lesson for the upcoming Sunday. And uh, why don't you read, begin to read that for us? And I'll just, uh, we'll just pause uh, briefly right. as we go through. Uh, this is the account from Matthew 26, uh, starting at verse 1. And this is the English Standard Version, ESV. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. You always have the poor with you but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. I say to you, truly, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Okay, let's stop there for a second because this is, a, this is an interesting facet of the Lord's passion. Now, the, uh, now this uh, caller earlier was mentioning the resurrection of Christ and the women who came to the tomb. Uh, do you remember uh, in kind of a, all the gospel accounts, what were, why were the women coming to the tomb on that Sunday morning? They had bought spices to anoint his body. Yeah, they were coming to anoint him, which was a custom. Uh, you know, it's kind of what you did for your, uh, our, kind of our process of embalming, although it was kind of a, done by lay, lay people. It wasn't uh, professionally done. And uh, when someone died, it was just the thing you did. You, you uh, anointed them with spices, and you, it was kind of the last uh, show of respect for the person you loved. And here are these women, and they're coming to do this, but what do they find? 
He's not there. They find an empty tomb and a risen Lord, right? And uh, so you have this woman who comes before the passion of Jesus, and she anoints Jesus. And Jesus then says she has done this. Uh, why say read that again? Well, he says she has done this in order to prepare me for burial. Right? Yeah, for you always have the poor with you, but you don't always have me. And pouring the ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Yeah. So already, this is a, a, a sign of Jesus' resurrection. That he won't be there for the typical, uh, customary anointing for burial. He will already be risen. And so this woman shows her love for Jesus, the same love that would have been shown by the women who came to anoint him on that Sunday morning. She shows it for him beforehand. And you wonder if maybe this woman has, by the Holy Spirit, been given the inspiration to do this because she sees already where this is going and she sees well, the Lord's so. victory. Apparently so. He says so. Yeah. He says this is why she's done it. And, and the, what this woman has done will be all forever spoken of her uh, yeah, uh, wherever the gospel is preached. Now John identifies this woman as uh, Mary of Bethany. So uh, again, this is a, another example of the different gospel writers and you know, Matthew's hearers probably wouldn't have known who Mary of Bethany was, whereas John's hearers would have known Mary of Bethany. So John names her, and Matthew doesn't. So uh, probably, uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, so let's go on with the lesson. All right. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Okay, so uh, the gospel writer Matthew here is setting up the account. This is how the story moves forward. Jesus isn't just taken and crucified, but he's betrayed by his own. Um, as the psalm puts, he, he who has eaten bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Right. So this is the treachery of Judas at work. Okay, go ahead. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. Okay, now before we go on further, uh, those of you who are may not be as familiar with the Old Testament, um, what is happening when Jesus is uh, at the time that Jesus is being crucified? This is the time of the Passover feast. Now, in the Old Testament, the Passover <coughs> was when the angel of death passed over the children of Israel in Egypt and struck the firstborn of Egypt. But but uh, but the firstborn of Israel were spared. And, um, and they were saved and rescued from Pharaoh's dominion through this, um, this horrible night in which uh, the angel of death went through Egypt. But God's people were spared and God's people were kept. Um, one of the things that happened during the Passover, uh, the, the original Passover, was that um, the angel of death passed over all the houses in which the blood of a lamb was spread on the doorposts of the house. So at twilight, 
the people of Israel uh, slayed their lambs. Moses instructed them. They slayed their lambs. They put the blood of that lamb on the doorpost of their house, and then they ate the lamb inside their houses while the angel of death passed over them, while they were spared, while they were being rescued from, from Pharaoh's dominion. And um, so each year the people of Israel would commemorate this great saving event of God in the Passover feast. Uh, Moses commanded that this would be a, a feast that they would observe. And, and still today, Jews still observe Passover. Uh, uh, and it roughly coincides with our Easter, uh, but because of the way we keep track of things, uh, sometimes it comes a little before or a little after our Easter. At any rate, uh, here is uh, Jesus keeping the law, and observing this feast that really has everything to do with him. Everything in the Old Testament, including the Passover, including the slaying of the Passover lamb, about Christ. Uh, John the Baptist, early in the Gospel of St. John, John the Baptist declares to his hearers, behold, uh, when he sees Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus is already identified as the Lamb of God. Jesus is really, Jesus is the Passover Lamb that was slain so that God's people might escape death. And uh, so this is the feast that Jesus is keeping here. Okay. All right, continuing. Uh, and the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And then they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it, as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he, and he took a cup, and when, it had, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, let's stop there. Because this is one of those most important aspects of the gospel lesson. Now Jesus is going to suffer in his body. He's going to pour out his blood for the forgiveness of sins. But at this last Passover meal, he is instituting a new meal for his disciples. He is telling them to take and eat and take and drink, eat his body, drink his blood. Now, the one word that's absent here, or one phrase that's absent here that a lot of people, uh, a lot of Christians uh, base their uh, uh, theology of the Lord's Supper on is in remembrance of me. Matthew doesn't mention that. And, and there's a reason for that. Uh, you know, when, when Jesus institutes this supper, he means for it, to the supper itself to be a means of his giving his body and blood to those who eat and drink 
for the forgiveness of sins. And, uh, and here it is. This is the institution of that supper that's so important, that's tied to his death. When we go to the Lord's table, when we go to the sacrament of the altar or communion, and we eat and drink, we are eating and drinking, we are partaking, and just like the Israelites slow, slew the blood of the lamb, took the blood of the lamb and put it on their doorpost, and then ate the lamb, so we remember the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, and we eat his body and drink his blood for the forgiveness of sins. That's very important, the sacrament of the altar. Go ahead. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. We have a lot of boasting self-confidence in ourselves, don't we? It's human nature. <clears throat> Go ahead. Then Jesus went, to the, in, uh, went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless, you, unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So, leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Okay, let me stop you there again for a second. Isn't it interesting that what Jesus does here, he does alone? <clears throat> with no human companionship. Christ is essentially abandoned by his closest friends, betrayed by one of them, and abandoned by the rest. <clears throat> and we see here in the words of Jesus, in the prayer of Jesus, we see the humanity of Jesus that desires to live. And yet we see the, the, uh, the, the pure humanity of Jesus, the untainted, un, uh, sinless humanity of Jesus, and that he bows, even in these circumstances, to the will of the Father. And he knows that it is necessary. There is no other way for mankind to be saved. There's no other way for him to fulfill his mission than to go to the cross and to be betrayed to go to the cross, which is what happens here. Continuing. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. 
While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have come to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how, how then should the scriptures be fulfilled, that it must be so? At that hour Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come, uh, come out as against a robber, with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. How many times has he already said this in this account? That the scriptures might be fulfilled. He keeps saying it over and over again. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, and when the scribes and elders had gathered, and Peter was, followed, was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest, and going inside he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none though many false witnesses came forward. At last two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Yeah. Then, uh, By the way, and when he says this, he's referring to a passage in Daniel in which that one who comes on the clouds of heaven is God himself. So when Jesus, when Jesus says this to, to Caiaphas, he's confessing that he is God himself in the flesh, the Son of the Father, the Holy One, and... Um, and that's, of course, that's too much. Uh, I also want to point out here that all the gospel writers want to emphasize Jesus' sinlessness, Jesus' guiltlessness, right? He is the unblemished lamb. And so all the people that come forward and give testimony, they're given false testimony. And they, they cannot find him guilty on any of the false testimony that's given. But they... Uh, they, now they find him guilty because of the confession that Jesus makes about himself. Yeah. Go ahead. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spit on his face and struck him. Some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? Now Peter was sitting outside the in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. 
But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out of the entrance and out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. After a little while the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too were one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to answer and to swear, I did not know the man. And immediately the, the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate the governor. Now Pilate represents, the the Jews at that time are occupied by the Romans. They don't have a legitimate means of capital punishment. So all capital punishment is in the hands of the Romans. That's why they're bringing him to the governor. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders and saying, and said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the, the temple, he departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave him, gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the, to the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting in, on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask Barabbas, ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. And, Jesus, er, and Pilate said to them, What shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, 
he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Now here is the guiltless one that goes to be crucified on the cross. And the, the guilty one is released. You know, folks, it, I want, we don't have much time. Barabbas is us. The gospel writers want us to know this. Okay. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus to the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put on a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. As they went out, Cyrene, Simon by name, they compelled this man to carry his cross. And when he came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but he, when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the, the bystanders, hearing it, said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Okay, well, I'm going to stop you there. Now, uh, folks, here we have just uh, heard this account once more. Maybe you've heard it uh, many times before. But the death of Jesus. Here, Jesus taking our punishment, taking our sin, and suffering and dying in our place, being forsaken by God so that you would never be forsaken by God. Folks, we thank you for joining us today, and we want to remind you that if you don't have a church home, Gethsemane Lutheran Church welcomes you. Our services are Saturday afternoon at 4.30 p.m. and Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We have a host of mid, uh, midweek services coming up, Monday, Thursday evening at 7, Good Friday at 8.30, 8 o'clock, and uh, Saturday evening at 8.30. Uh, we invite you to be with us for those services, and we look forward to speaking with you again next week on the Wittenberg Door. Did that, you know, these